Welcome to Gen Z Hoops. The Gen Z Basketball Coaching and Sports Business Show. On this podcast, you'll learn from professional players, coaches, and executives from all over the world and see the court in a brand new way. And now, joining you courtside, your Gen Z host, John Hartafillis. Coach Phil, how are you? Good, man, good. Can't complain. How about you? Doing great. Really excited to have you on the show. I know we've been trying to uh, plan this out for a while, so it's really exciting to have you on and get to do this. Obviously, I have a great, great background with the jersey in the back. It looks really cool and really looking forward to, to jumping in here. I mean, just just to kind of get us started, I'm curious maybe where this kind of basketball journey all started for you. I, I know, obviously, you had a great pro playing career that we're going to dive into. Where did that, that love for it first come into play? Well, p- growing up in uh, Prince George's County, Maryland, we had a, a lot of talented kids growing up i remember playing against jerry jack uh, and boys and girls club and then you know playing with mike sweetney in high school and then playing against uh delante west eddie Basden, and uh you know the list goes on and on about dc merlin virginia area and i learned a lot about the value of uh competition i mean from there my high school career you know only laws eight or nine games, you know, throughout my whole four-year uh, career, made it to three uh, state championships and won one. So I was accustomed to winning. And then that's where my <laughs> my basketball journey kind of, you know, my competitive spirit and fire kind of, you know, ignited, you know, from, from those experiences uh, in high school. But uh, I always knew I wanted to play a professional basketball but I knew at an early age, you know, um, I see you're young and you're, you're, you're experienced. I see you got your European uh, players back there, jerseys and stuff like that. So, but I was aware of the European game back in, you know, the early nineties. And um, I knew that if I didn't play in uh, the NBA that, you know, I was going to go play overseas. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but that was just a goal of mine. I mean, that, that's awesome. And of course, yeah, the, the jerseys behind me, of course, Porzingis being a, a native New Yorker and then Giannis being being Greek-American, uh, two guys I obviously look up to and, I, and obviously really appreciate the overseas game, obviously going to Greece and playing there and, and seeing the game there uh, was huge for me. But thinking about just obviously the, like, basketball being huge somewhere and people not really knowing about it, a lot can be said about the DMV area, right? The basketball is kind of really exploding there and there's some really good guys coming out of there. I've had a lot of guests on the show that come on and, and they always, like, like you just did, rep the DMV area and that's the first thing they mentioned talking about their, their upbringing is saying, well, where I came from, right, there's a lot of good talent. And like you said, I mean, that boys and girls club sounded like there were some elite guys walking through the door. Right. Can you talk a little about the, about the DMV area and just maybe like how it's kind of really transformed as, as a basketball uh, hotspot? Nothing has changed. It's just become more commercialized now. You know, uh, back then you were either with uh, when I was coming up, you were, you were either a Nikes guy or Adidas guy. You know, uh, with uh, Jabo Kenner, I was a Nikes, Nike team. And um now, you know, with DC Assault being Adidas uh, team, you know, we all know about them, you know, the, the, what they brought to the table as far as from the AU, AU game. But this area has, you know, grown tremendously on the amount of talent that comes out of here. I mean, I, I've been away for so long that, I, you know, it's hard for me to keep up with, the, with how many teams we have here. You know, like I said, it used to be, you know, the PG Jaguars, the Maryland Stallions, the DC Blue Devils, like I said, Jabu Kenner and the Nike team and uh, DC Assault. But now it's just so many teams, it's hard to keep up with. And it's, it just shows that AAU game has grown. But the good thing is that is that these kids are getting the opportunity to, to play 
and uh, you know where whereas then back then it was hard to get a roster spot you know on these on these teams so the good thing is is that these kids kids get the opportunity to play but you know they missing out on you know earning earning the right or getting earning that spot because you know the AAU game is just kids are a little spoiled these days uh, I miss the old ways but it's, it's just like you say it's just it comes with the territory but we're going in a good direction. Oh, I of course love to hear that. And, and thinking about obviously where you came from, obviously, like you said, going three state championships, I'd imagine a lot of college coaches would come into your games watching and seeing you play. What made you pick Drexel? I'm, I'm curious. And I'd imagine so many coaches were, were coming to these state championship games and there was so much exposure. I'm curious, can you explain kind of the college decision process for a player that is playing in such high level games and getting seen by so many coaches? Well, my experience, Drexel, this, you know, this is about 2005 2001 so it was a long time ago guys 20 years ago well I knew um I wanted to play my my freshman year you know that went into a lot of it so I had some A10 schools you know a couple looks at some biggies but you know I could have went to those type of that was my level my thing was I'm coming from a winning situation I'm coming from used to being able to have fun on the court the way I, I wanted to play and I wanted to make sure, you know, I kind of had that same momentum going into my freshman year. So my high school teammate, Lamar Butler, who uh, ended up uh, going to the final four with George Mason, we actually went to George Mason's uh, recruitment visit, visit the uh, same day. But I knew I didn't want to uh, go there, but I was just going just to support my teammate. And uh, and then I went to James Madison and I committed to these to this team on <laughs> verbally committed to this team on a, to, on this on the spot and uh you know I, I love the college atmosphere you know I'm a I'm, I'm a city guy so seeing the, the woods and stuff like that you know the air was just different out there you know in in that part of Virginia and uh I just and I love the campus life so I thought I was going to James Madison and then uh I went to Drexel and here I am back into the city where I have St. Joe's, Villanova, Penn, all these LaSalle, all these schools right here. It sort of reminds me of DC basketball, how we have the Jabo Kenner League and they have the Sunny Hill League out there in Temple University. So it was like my home away from home. Then I had my guy, Sean Brooks, that played at uh, Central, Uni- Central High School in uh, Prince George's County, Maryland. He was there at Drexel too. And so I get there and <laughs> I just fell in love with, I saw myself being comfortable here you know I saw myself being not only having fun on the court but off the court as well Delonte West ended up going to St. Joseph that's right there and uh, David Hawkins that's and Kevin Lyde they're DC guys they went to uh, Temple so I just I felt that that was the best place for me to go and it uh and it all worked out for me we had we had I had, a, had an amazing four years at Drexel. Oh, definitely. It's incredible thinking about your story and obviously how you ended up there. And because a lot of other players will have a, maybe a similar experience and thinking, okay, well, the area they're coming from and who's going there with them. And, and obviously, I would imagine the coach that played a big role. In, and I, I've read you talk about Coach Bruiser, right? And how and how pivotal role he maybe played. Uh, maybe the emphasis he placed on, on certain parts of the game or, or how really motivated you to get the best out of you, and which would eventually lead into your pro career. Can you talk a little about that? Maybe the emphasis he placed maybe on defense or on a certain part of the game uh, that oh. really got you going. I mean, the whole coaching staff at Drexel, it, it was an important moment in my college career that kind of hit home and still hit home, hits home for me to, today. It was a, you know, I came in, in the Drexel my freshman year and I, you know, I, all rookie team and stuff like that had success. And then, you know, I let that go to my head a little bit. So I'm hanging with, you know, a different crowd. Think one things that I think I'm thinking that's cool, but I'm putting myself deeper in the hole. And um, 
I ended up being on academic probation because of my actions, because of my decision going into the situation. So Bruiser, you know, Coach Jeff Arnold, Chuck Martin, all those guys brought me to the office and said, you know, hey, Phil, you got an opportunity to not only play after basketball, but to have, I mean, play play after college, but have a long career. You can really do it. And a lot of these guys on this team don't have this opportunity, so don't blow it. You know, outside of X's and O's and teaching me how to come off ball screens and reading the game and stuff like that, that was something that that kind of hit home for me that I will always remember about about the coaching staff at Drexel's because they really cared about me on the court, but how was I conducting myself off the court, which is bringing full circle as a professional, it's the same thing. You have to be able to conduct yourself in a certain certain way in order to last a certain amount of time as a professional in any career path to choose. So those are the things that I remember most. Oh, definitely. It's incredible to think about the impact the coach can have on your life right outside of the game and, and talking about how they kind of set you on that right path. And obviously they were right and, and you didn't blow it because you had a very successful pro career that ended just recently, right? And this was so many years ago, we were talking about your Drexel career. Obviously you had a, a super long uh, pro playing career. Um, obviously, so you, so going overseas, like everyone, like you, like you mentioned at the beginning, something that maybe people don't know much about. You said, you, you had mentioned how you knew about it in the 90s. Can you still kind of, I mean, I would imagine still there were some surprises definitely when you got there. If you could maybe talk about your first few practices with, with a new team, different language, maybe what was kind of the most shocking thing once you got there? So I was fortunate enough to go to a, to Holland and Holland is kind of like an easy transition country to you introducing yourself to, to Europe. A lot of the, the people there, country is slow, slow paced, unless you go to Amsterdam or Rotterdam or something like that. But it's, it's a very, you know, countryside people there are very friendly, diverse, speak English. Some, some people speak English. So, you know, you could go there and, and kind of like ease your way into the culture of Europe. And a lot of people aren't that fortunate. You know, I can't imagine going all the way over to Russia as my first year, but not in Moscow and <laughs> somewhere else in, in the middle of nowhere in this freezing cold. So I was fortunate and my experience just, I felt that my college routine was a lot harder than my pro routine. You know, I didn't have to worry about schoolwork anymore. So the transition for me was pretty, pretty easy. You know, it wasn't the highest level of basketball, but like I said, it was all about the transition, going from a mid-major, getting to getting my foot in the door as a being a pro. You know, I had to make sure I, I was able to confident mentally believe that I could do it. It's one thing to say you're, you're a professional, but you know, my whole goal was to say I'm a professional. I'm not just a pro, I'm a professional at this. It took a long time for me to get to where I came and you know, the first year was a very important role in everything that I've accomplished. I can imagine it. And, and you've spoken a lot about maybe how, how different the game is, is played over there and how the, the style is, is, is so different. If you can kind of touch on that in terms of, so obviously going to so many different countries, maybe did you see differences country to country or maybe was it more of, just, oh, this is European basketball? I think it was more, this is European basketball. And I was being stubborn in my ways of what I was taught from coaches that going, coming from, coming from uh, college or high school and all the above. The game didn't necessarily change. It was really me adapting and, and buying into whatever the coach's philosophy was. My whole 15, 14 year career, the, the plays didn't change as much. It's still, you know, high pick and roll. It's still, <laughs> you know, the same, still backdoor cuts. It's still the same exit floppy and horns, horn set. So nothing has really changed. It's really player. And for example, it was me buying into what the coach, you know, wanted from me. And then once that happened and I, you know, I put the team uh, first, be put the team before any anything I was trying to do, my career kind of took a turn for, a bet, for the better. 
Uh, that's perfect. And and well, one thing, uh, part of your European stuff I definitely want to touch on is when you were in Greece. I'm curious when you were there if you could maybe talk maybe about the the fans. Obviously, I know I know that stuff gets a little crazy by playing with Bauk and, and all that stuff. I, I can see you smiling because it's it's every every one I talk to right, that's played over there says the same thing. And I, I've obviously witnessed it when I went to but I think I got game. I saw the flares and everything. Is, is there anything maybe from there that really stuck out to you with one game? You're like, I cannot believe these fans did this or or something like that. I always, of course, you know, once you get introduced introduced to European basketball, you always dream of being in front of those. You know, that Panthenikos, Olympiakos type atmosphere crowds. And I remember my first game against Olympiakos. I was fortunate enough to play for one of the bigger teams historically in uh, in Greece, you know. So other teams outside of Aris, Pauk, Ike, and the big two, the green and uh, the green and red, you know, they don't really get to experience this. So I, I was fortunate enough to play with Pauk. And I remember the first game playing against Olympiakos and you know, it's, it's a derby over there, you know, for, for, you know, for those teams playing against each other. Italy was great, but those fans, you know, in, in Pauk and also in, in Athens, we ended up winning the game against uh, my first game against uh, Olympiacos. You know, I had 27 points, you know, hit some big shots. So I'm feeding off the energy of the crowd and, and it was no looking back. And it was like my third, third or fourth game in, in Greece. And I was 35 and People thought I was old. <laughs> People thought I couldn't play no more. So, you know, that kind of like gave me the confidence to say, you know, all right, I still got it. You know, let me go back out here and still prove that I can play this game at a high level. My next question would be, how did you get out of that arena alive? But I'm sure, but now, now, now that you did, I'm sure, right, whatever. There was some way you got out of there, um, which is great. Uh, I'm curious. So, I mean, when talking about maybe being an older player, maybe learning how to how to how to keep your career going. I'm, like, obviously, I saw that uh, during the lockout season, which I thought was super interesting, is that you know you played with Tony Parker for a little bit when he came over and played with you guys. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe like maybe what you learned or, or maybe what was, what was like guarding him in practice every day as, as the other point guard? The one thing I learned this was the worst experience I had, but the the best learning experience. The lockout was not for sure until the season had already started in Europe. So I was going into the situation thinking, all right, this is going to be my show. You know, we playing in the Euro League, Euro Challenge, and stuff like that. So when Tony got there, of course I had to take the, a back seat, but I still wanted to compete. You know, we we competed every day, practice, and uh, that's where I learned so much about the game, how you approach the game, and I learned a lot from that aspect. But me and the coach and the, the organization didn't have the same vision of where I, I fit in amongst the roster and. Looking back into the situation, I, I handled the situation totally different because I mean, totally wrong because, you know, the, these young guys that I had on my team are now playing EuroLeague, you know, Barcelona, Fenerbahce, you know, all these big teams. I think I missed the opportunity to kind of help these guys, you know what I mean? Instead of I was thinking selfishly, why am I not playing? I could have made sure they they were, you know being led the right way or, or set an example. I think I should, I could have done a better, better job of that. So my, my experience in France wasn't long, but I learned so much from no, from that moment. I went about myself and the one about the business. I wouldn't change a bit. I just wish I, I could have been a better leader, a better example. I could have handled the situation a little bit better. But I mean, but I, you know, now I'm old. I'm, I can, I'm retired. I can, I can admit when I was wrong, but you know, I wouldn't change a thing because I, you know, I, I had to go through that to learn something, something about myself. 
That's what I'm so excited about because obviously now in your role, having coached and, and of course what you're doing um, on social media and, your, and with your speaking, um, you're obviously doing such a good job of leading people in that sense. So I'm, I'm curious, of course, to eventually that, or to talk about maybe how that all happened. But one last question about maybe uh, your playing career was obviously uh, the basketball tournament, right? It's something that not a lot of people play in it. It's, it's a super cool experience. And, and I, I can imagine it was a, definitely a lot of fun. If you could talk maybe about what made that so much different from every other place you'd played basketball before. Uh, it was it was great because one it brought DC guys the DMV guys back on the same team and rarely do we get to play with each other you know we all we always compete against each other this is what makes who makes us who we are we like to compete against each other so it it was great for us to be able to play on the same team with James Guest, Pops, Muscle Bonson, David Hawkins, you know, Mike Sweeney, but you know, my old high school teammate, DeMar Johnson, lottery pick, James White, Chris Wright. So the list goes on, <laughs> guys that, you know, are still out here doing their thing. I was fortunate enough to be on the same floor with. We just injuries and stuff like that. We we were we were a number one seed two straight years and got beat by overseas elite. And I think our our little rivalry, it definitely got some momentum built for the uh for for what was to come for the for the TBT. Cause our games were were were, were feisty. They were we had some real blood out there on on the on the floor. We were really battling for that for to win that money because you know we all needed it. And uh, but at the end of the day, number number respect for what over, overseas elite has been able to accomplish in that in that tournament. I'm pretty sure it's going to be another <laughs> another powerhouse that's going to come out the woodwork again. And um, I was just glad to be a part of it, you know, as it was coming out. It's so cool because it's definitely uh, grown so much in popularity recently. It's, it's awesome thinking about leagues like that and how they've been able to make basketball a little fun and, and, and change things up. But thinking about it, we've spoken so much about competitiveness and, 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 all, and all these characteristics right, that you've learned throughout your career. I'm curious, so when you made the transition to coaching, obviously you have to take on much more of a role of being a leader for your, for your players or, and everything like that. And I've seen so much of what you post on Instagram with the, with, when you're uh, motivating and all that stuff. Did, did you always know you were going to at some point um, go into coaching? Did it kind of happen once you, once you retired, you made the decision? And, and how'd you get those skills necessary um, in such a short time coaching kind of I knew I wanted to do something related to basketball so when I was captain of Venice you know I started working on what was I going to do after started planting seeds with the Wizards you know I had always worked out uh, with the with the Wizards in the summertime so they knew who I was and Tommy Shepard who's now the GM has always been within the Wizards uh, family so reached out to him got it introduced to him through actually through my CBT coach and uh, built a relationship. In turn, paid my way out to to Vegas just to be with the team. Didn't even stay with him, just just to be with him. And then that carried on to me being on this officially on the staff the next summer. But I'm still building a relationship with within the organization every time I go back overseas. Then that third year, I was I was still working out, practicing. I'm still practicing with the team, but coaching them at the same time. You know, that's what made everything unique about me. I was able to still go out there and kick some ass whenever I needed. You know, but uh, most importantly, I was able to lead by example and uh, show these guys instead of just using my words every all the time and uh, that turned into me being offered to play in the summer league you know I'm 35 36 years old I'm like man y'all 10 years late ain't you <laughs> but uh <laughs> but uh I didn't play you know I regret that I should have played just to say I did it you know but I was mainly focused on helping these kids and I think it would have been selfish of me to, you know, I wouldn't know I wasn't going to get picked up. You know, I wouldn't know I wasn't going to get no NBA NBA shot, seriously. So 
Oh, who knows? But I did, I just felt like these young guys really deserve an opportunity, and I didn't want to be in the middle of that. So I continued to coach uh, that, that summer and then went back overseas, retired. <laughs> and then the go-go, Capital City go-go, um, Tommy Shepard reached, you know, we, we, we had always talked, and I knew that I was going to retire as soon as I finished that last season in Pauk. I just didn't make it official yet, and I kept the door open of me playing but I was just really just waiting for the official offer from the Capital City Go-Go, the Wizards uh, G League affiliate. And that whole experience was uh, was great. That was when I learned so much about in a short period of time because I didn't go through the, the coaching clinics or anything like that. But basically getting in off my you know reputation that I built over, over in Europe and who I, my character, who, who I am as a person and what I bring to the character on the court. So for me to be able to accomplish this was big for me and uh, like like i said the, the the experience having to learn so so quickly and being thrown in the fire uh, not not never doing the scout and not never cutting up video learning all these things of course they gave me some time to figure it out but it, that was that was the part i was really in starting to enjoy because i felt like i was making some progress as soon as i we get into a rhythm covid happened we didn't end up having a team in the in the bubble i'm looking forward to getting back on the bench coaching. I'm trying to uh, create some other opportunities for myself outside of coaching, starting a company, uh, mentoring kids coming from college and some guys, you know, that's trying to get over overseas and also helping some guys that's actually overseas using some things that I learned from uh, coaching with the Wizards and try to help these guys um, that I know that I can help make an impact, help these guys, you know, make some some better sound decisions when it comes to contracts and team choosing teams and stuff like that. And how to deal with certain uh, moments in, in, in Europe, you know, it's not always going to be everybody looks at the top players over there and how they, you know, how they got successful and they never look at how they got there. And that's just like the Mamba mentality. He says, uh, don't look at what I did, look at how I did it. And that's something that, uh, you know, I, I try to put a lot of attention to details and the little things and it's worked for me. And I, I think I will be doing myself for this service of that, you know, helping these young guys out here, you know, not to make the same mistakes I did. And um, also, Coming out with the app soon, you know, I've been talking about uh, competition this whole time. That's been a, a common word that I've been using. And my app is a, a social networking sports app that's going to track the wins and losses of each individual. So whether you play pick when you play pickup with your guys, who's who's getting the most wins amongst your friends and uh, expect that to come out uh, very soon, but it's just not going to be basketball. It's going to be every sport. So this is going to be something that's <laughs> that's going to be huge. And uh, expect some announcements coming from me very soon. And anybody that's looking to get some any type of advice, you can hit me up on philgossjr.com, P-H-I-L-G-O-S-S-J-R.com. Hit the, you know, hit me up. Social media, Phil G32. I'm here for you guys, and uh, I want to see you guys win. 
absolutely love that. It, it's amazing the, the whole story about you coaching. You brought up Tommy Shepard. He, he's been a past guest on the show, so it's crazy thinking about just like the, kind of the network and how everyone at basketball kind of knows each other and, and everyone's helping each other out. And obviously, uh, awesome thing about your, your coaching journey. But then also, I'm, I'm really um, interested in what you were just saying about the, the the company you're building, the app, all that stuff. Obviously, there's so much advice that you learned and we've spoken about throughout the whole show. What's maybe the biggest piece that you would have gone back and told yourself maybe when you first, right, when you first start playing overseas? What's the biggest piece of advice now that you've not only just completed your career, but you've also gone to this coaching world. You've learned all these things. Like, obviously you're going to give it to, to these kids, but what would you have gone back? I mean, told, like say a 22 year old Phil Goss when, uh, when he first started um, his, his basketball journey. I mean, be comfortable being uncomfortable. I think I've learned my worst moments have been my best moments, so to speak for me. You know, every time, you know, I had to endure some type of adversity or anything, I've always followed it up some success that's either even on the micro level you know if I have a bad shooting slump <laughs> that next game when I catch on fire is a 30 point game so I it was like the same thing staying even killed on the court is the same thing I try to do in life you know try to stay even killed you know with with real clear goals in mind and that keeps me focused and keeps me locked in on, on whatever agenda I'm trying to accomplish you can't get anywhere uh, or reach a type of success without any adversity. And I think the people who are not afraid of adversity or don't run from it are the guys that, you know, kind of solidify themselves as professionals or, or, or you know, people that stay in the game for a long period of time. And one, uh, the last thing I would leave is don't make somebody else's success story your version of success. And that's one thing that I had to learn the hard way, you know, my spent, you know, my whole year, my whole career chasing after something that wasn't meant for me. You know, I was chasing after other people's success stories and it never really accepted, you know, where I was or that I should, I should be somewhere better or I should be making more money. It's, you know, I didn't really value where I was until I, I was 36 years old. And I just say, man, that like, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> like, definitely, just, definitely. You know, don't put, don't make somebody else's success. Don't, that's not yours. You know, create your own version of success. You know, we don't know what success is. You know what I mean? We don't know what it is, but we're going to work hard every single day. We're going to make sure we apply each hour, month, day, whatever year to accomplishing these goals. And we're going to look up and then we're going to, we, we're just going to be there. <laughs> you know, that's, and that's what it is. It's like, I, I put so much pressure on trying to keep up with, with, with somebody else or keep up with my peers. So I would say value what you have, value what you value where you at at the moment, live and be in the moment. And that, that's what I would leave it. Fantastic advice. Definitely a lot for listeners to take home. And there, there's so many things from this episode that I'm sure they can take um, through your career. And obviously what, what you've learned from it, path you took obviously was a, was a really interesting one in, in terms of the stops you made, both playing, coaching. I mean, there's so many different ways to take this. And I, I really hope I listen to the time. I'll, hopefully by the time this episode drops, I'm like, we're, we're getting closer to the launch of the website, the app, all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. listeners can, uh, can uh, take a crack at it. So Co- Coach Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, this was a really fun one. Uh, definitely a, 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 an awesome career to kind of go through. And we'll definitely keep in touch. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. All right, man. And good luck, man. Keep doing your thing. Thanks for listening to Gen Z Hoops. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all major social media platforms at Gen Z Hoops.
you can tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other podcast platform on the planet. Get ready for the next episode.